at Grace before and some of you will know I have a bit of a pattern here and that's to start by asking a question. I do that because I'm genuinely interested in your thoughts so I hope it leads to conversation afterward but it's also a way to hopefully get you thinking and get you thinking about how some of this content might relate to your life because at the end of the day the Word of God hopefully speaks to your life and you recognize that and want to apply it. So with all that said I do have a question so are you listening? Are you ready? Yes, thank you. So I want to start by giving you a scenario. Hypothetically speaking, some of you might have heard this already, but just bear with me. Let's say that scientists have discovered a revolutionary new treatment that makes you live longer. It enhances your memory. It makes you more creative. It makes you look more attractive. It keeps you slim, it lowers your food cravings, it protects you from cancer, dementia, not to mention diabetes. It wards off the cold and flu, it lowers your risk of heart attacks and strokes. You'll feel happier, less depressed, and less anxious. The question, are you interested in this treatment? Yes. Okay, good. So I got a lot of yeses. And for those of you who might be a little skeptical, you're like, oh, this is Christian preaching at a church. That all sounds too good to be true. I want to assure you that this isn't a spiritual trap. Any of you who said yes, there is no sinful string attached. There are no gotchas or major surprises. It's that simple question, would you be interested in the treatment that all around improves your quality of life? And thankfully, all of you said yes, which is the right answer. Yes, I'm interested in such a treatment. But now, there is a reveal. There is a small gotcha, a small surprise. This question wasn't actually a question I came up with. Of course, it sounded very nice and too good to be true. How could I come up with that? It was actually a quotation from Dr. Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep. The treatment being described, as I just read it out to you, with all those amazing health benefits, is sleep. In that book, Walker, a professor of neuroscience, outlines all these amazing, mind-boggling health benefits of getting proper and consistent sleep. But realistically, some of you look a little surprised, but I expect many of you aren't all that surprised. The importance of sleep and getting enough of it is drilled into us at a young age. The reality is that I think quite confidently, feel free to let me know if I'm wrong later on, that we don't need to be sold on the why of sleep. We know sleep is powerful, but we're often left with the question, how? We know sleep is important, but given a person's schedule, maybe it's your racing mind, maybe it's health issues, body pains, your busyness, how? How can one get a proper night's sleep is a major question. If you type it into Google, you'll see so many resources, so many videos, so many different responses to questions such as, how can I fall asleep quickly? How can I stay asleep? How can I improve the quality of my sleep? Or how can I make the most of the li little sleep I will realistically get? Everyone is asking, how? On that note, I'm going to leave you with that cliffhanger. How do you get enough sleep? If you find that out, let me know. But I'm going to shift gears a little bit here because deeply connected to sleep and our physical health is the concept of rest and our mental and spiritual health. Rest is something I think most of us already know is essential. Most of us know that our bodies, our brains, and even our souls 
need rest. It's something we all experience. It's something we all intuitively know. And again, like sleep, from a young age, it's drilled into us. Plus, if you're sitting here and you've been a Christian for a while, if you're familiar with the Bible at least, you know that this truth is all over the scriptures. In line with our needs and our experience as finite creatures, God himself instructs people that they have to rest. The prime example that you might be familiar with is the Sabbath, the day of rest, which is built right into the Ten Commandments. But reflecting on that, right in the Ten Commandments is a command to rest for a day, I believe it's quite telling that God has to command people to rest. Like sleep, for a variety of reasons, humans always run the risk of neglecting rest. I believe this is especially true in our present day. In addition to ancient, ongoing stresses of life, from health issues to family drama to financial concerns, all these things that make it hard for people to truly rest, We also now live in an internet age. The reality is, as many of us know, school and work follow us home. And with our phones and laptops, work and more realistically distractions of various kinds can follow us right into our beds. And where does that leave us? Many of us, and myself included, are going into this new year tired, still exhausted, already burnt out. Despite just having a Christmas break, many of us obviously and painfully need rest. Even if that's not you right now, maybe some of you, and you know what, myself included, I'm a bit of both. We had a very Merry Christmas filled with lots of days of rest, but so even if this truth isn't exactly hitting you right now, living in our world with all of its many stresses, we know, I think we all know that one day we will find ourselves in a place where we are desperate for rest. We'll know why we need to rest, but we'll be struggling with how. How can I find rest when life is such a mess? It's right there on the screen. That's what we're talking about. You'll know why you need rest, but you'll be struggling with that how. But like the question of sleep, when it comes to the question of how to rest, This time, I promise you, I'm not leaving you with a cliffhanger. As you should have expected, sitting here today, we're going to turn to the Word of God for answers. Whether you're that person who's already burnt out, already struggling through major trials, and painfully know that you're currently already in desperate need of rest, or maybe you're that other person living with everyday stresses, not currently in a place of desperation, but need to establish a routine of experiencing proper rest, This sermon that I'm about to preach is for you. Turning to Psalm 4, we will learn four practical, tangible, easy-to-follow steps to help us get our minds truly in a state of rest. Whether we're talking about a restful confidence in the midst of moments and midst of trials and moments of major tragedy, whether we're talking about the practice of rest while recovering in the aftermath of a major issue, or rather just getting into the discipline of regularly resting that we ought to be engaging in no matter our circumstances, we're going to learn four foundational steps to help us become a people of rest. The reality is, in this world where burnout syndrome is now a disease recognized by the World Health Organization, we can't afford to not know how to rest. But the good news is, 
the Bible gives us instructions, a step-by-step guide teaching us how to get our minds into a state of content, confident, and holistic rest. So we're turning to Psalm 4, and we're going to talk about the elusive how. So let's discover those four steps to experience true, rejuvenating, and lasting rest. And to do that, we're going to start, as you should have expected, by reading God's word. So please follow with me, Psalm 4, verses 1 to 8. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But you know that the Lord has set apart the set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Amen. As we dive in, I first want to share why this psalm is totally appropriate to talk about rest. You might be reading and thinking, where are we going with this? Well, first, let's start with its writer. We read the inspired subscription of the psalm. It states, to the choir master with string instruments, a psalm of David. King David, I'm hoping you know, is a super popular biblical character. He was Israel's king and Israel's most prolific psalmist. You'll often see him in images with the harp. He loves singing, making music. But despite all the images we see of David, either with the harp or just looking like a tough, strong guy, he was also a man who kept getting himself into messes. Whether it was relatively small things like lions and bears attacking his flock when he was a young shepherd, or the invasion of the Philistines. We know the story of David and Goliath. Or the ongoing saga of King Saul trying to kill him. A lot of messes came David's way. But not only was David a guy who kept on finding himself in messes of no fault of his own, he was also a guy who put himself into a lot of messes. A big example is the story with Uriah the Hittite and Bathsheba. When David's own lust led him down a path of adultery, murder, and all the stress that came along with those sins. Needless to say, David was a guy who was constantly in messes. But thankfully, he is also the guy who wrote so much about them. To get an idea of this, you can look at the titles that Bible editors give to the Psalms surrounding our one this morning. If you were to look at the edited title of Psalm 3, it says, Save me, O my God. If you looked at Psalm 6, the editors chose to give it the title, O Lord, deliver my life. David was a guy who was constantly trying to find rest in the midst of major messes. And God, who is a God of wisdom, inspired David to share this journey in his own words. So, David's a good guy to go to, but why Psalm 4? What makes this psalm a place to go to to learn how to rest when life is a mess? Well, quickly, we're going to dig into it, of course, but very quickly, 
we need to talk about how it starts and how it ends. Our psalm this morning, if you look at Psalm 1, starts with a plea. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. This psalm starts with David likely calling out to God in the midst of a serious, major, perhaps even life-threatening mess. And where does it end? Verse 8. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. This psalm goes from a cry of being in an absolute mess to a declaration of being in absolute rest. So now we're going to go through the psalm and see the steps that brought David there. If these are the steps that David took to experience rest when people were trying to kill him or tear down his kingdom, surely these are steps we can follow to experience rest in whatever situation, context, or even headspace we find ourselves in. So... Let's dive in. We're going to start step one. Step one to finding rest when life is a mess. Remember who God is. Where does David start his journey to rest? Verse one, by remembering who God is. David doesn't just call out to God. This isn't a reactionary knee-jerk statement of, oh my God, when he slips and trouble seems to happen. No, it's not like that. This is a heartfelt, personal Cry, O God of my righteousness. David remembers that God is the God of righteousness, even his own. David, in this example, turns to God, remembering his character. And while God has many attributes, many points of his character, all which are helpful to think of, none which are more important than any other, righteousness, as an example, is a great place to start when we're seeking rest. It draws to mind God's protection of the upright, his unassailable goodness, his absolute impossibility that God could do us wrong or would abandon us in our trouble. David is turning not just to a just God of power and might, but to a God who uses his divine power and might to do right, and right on behalf of his people. From there, that place of righteousness, moving to a more general theological reflection, David recalls his previous interactions with God. He recounts on the works of this righteous God in his own life. The rest of verse 1, follow with me. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. David knows from his own life, God is not only righteous, he is gracious. He knows from personal experience that God uses his power and might to deliver people in need. The Lord, as a point of his character, as demonstrated throughout history, even in his own life, is merciful and gracious. The Lord, the God of heaven and earth, is not only mighty to save his people, but he delights in saving them. Believers sitting here today, our God is a God of our righteousness. He is, we are under his goodness and justice. He is in the business, this is God's business, of giving relief when we are in distress. Take the example of David seriously here. How are you going to rest when life is a mess, when trouble is coming your way from every direction, when your work is about to swallow you up, when you're overwhelmed with anxieties and fears, or when everything perhaps is seemingly fine and you're in danger of skipping rest because you don't see the purpose? Remember who God is. Meditate on the character of God. Recount the works that have flown out of his character and pray to him who sits on the throne of grace. When you are in need of rest, which is all of us, 
frankly, all the time, remember the Lord. All things are in his hands. He is the creator of the ma- He is the creator and master of the universe. Nothing happens in this world or anything beyond this world outside of his control. And he, this God, is the God of your personal, your righteousness. So that's step one. Remember who God is. But now step two. Remember who God says you are. So often in this world, the chief thing getting in the way of rest are lies. Lies of various kinds. And again, speaking to believers, this should not surprise us. If we believe the word of God, we know that in 1 John 5.19, it says this. We, that are, we know that we who are from God... No, sorry. We know that we are from God, that's us believers, and the world, the whole world, lies in the power of the evil one. Brothers and sisters, quite personally speaking, to our experience, we know, if we've lived in this world for any period of time as Christians, that we are often looking at a world where we are in enemy territory. Satan, who is the lowercase g, God of this world, also known as the father of lies, is hard at work. And what is the enemy, the father of lies, doing? This might be a surprise, but the father of lies, lies. Revolutionary, I know. Who would have guessed it? But what are some of the lies that we hear from the world, our flesh, or from Satan? What are these lies that get in the way of our rest? Here are some examples I see and perhaps have felt. Firstly, there's the guilt and shame we struggle with when we believe the lie that we are not forgiven or redeemed. There's the anxiety and stress we face when we believe the lie that our bank account or our degrees define us. There's the sorrow and longing we feel when we believe the lie that people's acceptance is all that matters. The list goes on and on. Feel free to think of the own examples that you struggle with or have seen people face in your own life. But... Turning back to our psalm, after crying out to God in verse 1, in verse 2, David turns his attention to the wicked and states this. Look at verse 2, start of the response. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Salah, pause and think about that. How long will the wicked world seek after lies? The wicked love turning the honor of the godly into shame. The wicked love vain words and lies. How can we rest in such a world? Verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. How do you rest when life is a mess? How do you rest when lies and the shame in the world are weighing you down, pushing you to endless work, causing you grief? Remember your identity. Remember who God says you are. If you're among the godly, if you're a child of God, someone who has repented of your sin and placed your faith in God, you know that you are among the chosen that God has set apart, from him, set apart for himself. You are God's. Your identity is that you belong to him. This isn't unique to the Old Testament. This isn't unique to David. We can think of what the Apostle Peter says, that believers, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Christians, we are the people of God's own possession. We are his. We belong to him. We are defined by him. We are free to 
boldly and confidently reject the lies of this world, the lies that lead to burden, sorrow, and toil, because they in no way define us. They have no power over us. We do not belong to them. So how can we rest when life is a mess? Remember that the mess does not define us. God does. We are free from guilt and shame. We are free from trying to create meaning and destiny for ourselves. We are free from defining ourselves according to the world's standards, opinions, and lies because we are God's. The Heidelberg Catechism, some of you might have heard of it. It was a seminal work of early Protestantism. It puts it this way in the form of a question and an answer meant to teach people the truths of the Bible and God. It says this question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We can rest when we embrace the freedom and comfort that comes with dependence upon God. We can rest because we are who we, he says we are. We are forgiven and free. He says we are loved and cherished. He says we are saved and sealed. That is who we are. Embracing that truth in a world of lies is key to being able to rest. Step three, we're moving through. How can you rest when life is a mess? Remember what God calls you to do. Look at verse four. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. You can imagine a variety of scenarios that would lead to this statement. Feel free to think of something that might relate to you. But the gist is this. Out of nowhere, of no fault of your own, someone wrongs you. You've probably been there. You probably can think of an example. Someone slanders your character. Someone steals something from you. Someone bullies you, scams you, or deceives you. This is the kind of scenario, the kind of mess, that David is responding to in this verse. Now, turning his attention to the godly, speaking words to the godly, David tells them when they're wronged, be angry, but don't sin. In fact, go to bed and be silent. So first, before we dig into this, a little caveat. David isn't saying if there isn't a crime, you shouldn't report it to the police, or if someone is in danger, you shouldn't go get help. On both accounts, I'm encouraging you, please do both. But what David is getting at here is an attitude, and it's an essential, critical attitude. How can we rest when and after people wrong us? Well, firstly, go ahead and be angry. Righteous anger is definitely a good thing, but in that righteous anger, don't sin. If someone slanders you, the response isn't to slander them back. If someone scams you, the goal isn't to scam them back. Be angry, but do not sin. To give a bit of color to this, if there's one thing I've learned from epic revenge stories is that vengeance, getting revenge, is often exhausting. I recently watched a show, and it was all about a woman seeking revenge on her high school bullies. The bullying was so brutal that the character spent years, the rest of her life up to that point, over a decade, consumed by the need for vengeance. And after years of planning and preparing, she finally brings down the bullies, ruining their lives, their careers, their relationships, just as they ruined hers years ago. And that, while that was a fun story, I enjoyed the show. It's always nice where at the end you could say, yeah, we got them, it feels good. But... 
If you've ever watched a revenge story, and you probably know, you probably experienced this, you can't help but think, I couldn't help but think, of how horrible and painful at life it was for that main character. Every job she worked, every achievement she accomplished, every relationship she made were all subservient to her plan and desperate need for revenge. Frankly, and this is what the character in the show conceded, it's that it was exhausting. In the entire process, there was no peace, there was no rest, and once it was done, there was nothing really to show for it. Sure, I had a good time watching the show, and the character isn't real, I know that. But when you think about it, while revenge is sweet, watching those shows, is it ever, ever really worth it? You might have destroyed the person who destroyed you, but where does that leave you? Compromising your morals, getting down into the mud, and giving up yourself just to get revenge. That's not good. David says, sure, be angry, but don't seek revenge. Don't sin. Don't get down into the mud. It's exhausting. In fact, he says, be silent. Hearing that, be silent, when someone does something to you, it might be setting off your sense of justice alarms. In the face of lies and sin, in the face of messes, we should just, that we get unjustly thrown into, we should just be silent. I shouldn't seek revenge. I shouldn't fight back. That seems wrong. But that's exactly what we're called to do. That's exactly the truth we need to get at. If you are a believer, you are free from the burden of getting vengeance, the burden of stepping down into the mud. You are free to not engage in an exhausting process of revenge, of fighting back, because God is who he is, we are who we are, and that leaves us with defined responsibilities. So follow with me as I break this down. The call to silence here isn't a call to be defenseless. You can look at verses like Exodus 14, 14, which says this, the Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. Not fighting back isn't cowardly. It reflects our trust that the Lord, the divine warrior, the commander of angel armies, will fight for us. We don't have to worry about avenging ourselves because our God says that vengeance is mine, I will repay. How do you rest when you get thrown into a mess? Don't exhaust yourself trying to do what God says he will take care of. That God, the God of our righteousness, will take care of far better than you ever could. He will make things right. That gives us the freedom to rest and to focus on the good and wholesome things we are called to do. Follow this transition. Look at verse 5. David is speaking to the godly in the context of people attacking them unjustly, lying about them, trying to turn their honor into shame, as we saw in verse 2. And David simply says this, Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. When life is a mess, when we get thrown into that mess unjustly, how can we rest? Stay committed to the good and healthy things that God calls us to do. When we're in a mess, whether thrusted upon us or created by ourselves, we're not called to conjure up some elaborate ploy or spiritual display to get out of it. When we're in a mess, we don't have to scramble for some elaborate solution to find peace of mind. It's actually the best time to stay committed to the simple basics. In the Old Testament, the way to stay committed to the simple basics was to continue in the sacrificial routine. For Christians today, the best way to stay committed to the basics means 
attending church. You're already doing that. Great job. Praying daily. Hopefully, you'll join with me when we pray later. And reading scripture, which we've already done. All those common everyday disciplines that we just did right now and are doing as we speak, those disciplines reflect and build our trust in God. It might seem obvious to say, yeah, if I'm in trouble, I want to stay committed to God. I want to experience trust in him. I want to live out that trust in him and experience that peace. But how many times are we tempted when we're busy or stressed beyond belief to think that skipping church or missing Bible reading is the solution? We'll say school right now is super busy. I'm stressed. I don't have time for church. Or we might say that work is so crazy, I'm so exhausted, I don't have time to pray. Saying and doing things like that is basically saying, I'm too sick right now to worry about taking medicine. When you're sick, medicine is exactly what you need. It might be simple, it might be basic, but that's literally what it's there for. When you're in the mess, confronted with lies or stress, looking to God and living obediently in line with his word is exactly what you need. And just like how medicine will help you sleep when you're sick, living in harmony with God, living obediently, will ease stress and help you rest. Why? Well, two reasons. On the one hand, we're not burning ourselves out trying to do too many things or doing what only God can do and says he will do. But on the other hand, more positively, we're embracing our identity and doing the things that remind us who we are and who our God is. Rest comes easier for creatures when they're living in harmony with their creator. Rest comes easier for people when they embrace their identity and live in line with it. You're free from tension. So now that was step three. Our last step, and this is our conclusion, how to rest when life is a mess. Remember what God says he will do. I'm going to encourage you, follow with me. Look at verses six to eight. David turns his attention now. He spoke to the wicked earlier, then the godly. Now he's back speaking to God. David says this, the start of verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us some good? To get a sense of what David's saying there, he's imagining people or he's heard people, just like we've heard people who, after experiencing a series of hardships, will say things like, the universe must hate me, or nothing ever seems to go my way, I have bad luck, or where, are, where is God in my struggles, he must not care for me. There are many who say things like this, who say things like, who will show us some good when they're struggling in hardship? But for David, a man who's been through it all, including hiding in caves from a king desperately trying to kill him, he has something to say in response to those statements. David, who's been through it all, every mess, thrust it upon him or put, in, put him into it himself, he turns to God and says this, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The man who faced lions, bears, and giants the man who slept in a cave on the run, the man whose own son rose up in bloody rebellion against him, he, this man, is able to say to the Lord that he has put more joy in his heart than those who live a life of endless feasting. Even in the times of the deepest hardships, when you'd expect a man to be tormented by anxiety and fear, David is able 
to lie down and sleep. How? We're back to where we started. How? How can this be? How could David's soul experience such a peace and rest when his life was constantly a mess? Well, he followed the steps that we've been outlining here. As we know from the Psalms, David spent time in meditation and prayer, remembering who God is. Despite the lies of his enemies, he kept front and center his identity, remembering who God said he is. Despite the trials of his sin and failures, he remained committed to the simple acts of faith and obedience, remembering what God called him to do. And finally, he leaned entirely on God's protection and promises, always remembering what God says he will do. For David, his mind jumped to God's promise and provision of joy and security. To get a sense of this, you can think of Psalm 23. I know that many of you here have it memorized. In the midst of the mess, David caressed because he recalled all the things that God does and will do. From that psalm, we know that even though David walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he feared no evil, for God was with him. David was able to say later on in that psalm, speaking to God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of of my enemies. Think about how vivid that is. Able to sit down and eat, have a nice meal, when people with swords and spears are all around him seeking to kill him. That's the image. David, while far from perfect, very relatable, in Psalm 4, and the themes it points to, along with many other psalms, provides an example of how to rest. It all comes down to keeping our eyes fixed on God, meditating on his word, obeying his will, and trusting in his promises. But in this, in doing this, we have it way better than David ever did. When it, coming, when it comes to taking steps of rest, we have it easier, clearer, and more direct than David or any of the Old Testament saints. If you're sitting here today, and if you've been attending Grace for the past few weeks, you have a leg up on this. But you already know, as you should know, just living in this world, singing the songs that we sing, that we have Jesus. We have Emmanuel, we have God made flesh, we have God with us. When we meditate on God, who he is, what he has done for us, when we seek to rest in the identity defined by him, we can think of the cross of Christ. That demonstration of divine love, justice, and reconciliation that could only be accomplished by God walking among us and dying a death he did not deserve on our behalf. When we seek to live rightly and to trust in God, we have the guarantee of the cross. If God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, if Jesus was willing to take on flesh, live on this corrupted earth, be tortured, and die to save his people from his sin, do you think he would abandon his people, would abandon us when we're in our mess? He didn't do that. Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath who calls his people to rest in him. If you're a believer today, you worship the king of rest. We worship a God who bled and died so that we might have rest, peace, and life in this world. When life is a mess, you can rest when you remember who God is, who he says you are, what he calls you to do, and what he says he will do. But listening to this, if you're not a believer, if you're struggling with these truths, or if you're new to Christianity, now listening to this message, I want to share something with you. 
At the core of Christian life and religion is this theme of rest. This isn't a side piece. This is front and center. At the center of the gospel message itself, the reason why we're all gathered here today, the gospel that we believe and preach to the world is a message of rest. All of us here, redeemed or not, know we need rest. Our bodies, our minds, even our souls cry out constantly for rest. Rest in the face of trouble, rest in the face of lies, rest in the face of sin, rest in the face of just living every single day on this earth. Our persons cry out for true, genuine, holistic rest. So please now, with that in mind, with your experience of needing rest, hear now the words of Jesus. The Messiah says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're a person who needs rest, which is all of us here, take up Jesus on his offer. Come to know the creator and ruler of the universe as the God of your personal, your righteousness. Embrace Jesus and be called by God, his beloved child. Live the life of blessed obedience he calls us to and will sustain us in. And enjoy the hope of the promises he is faithful to fulfill. This is the deal of a lifetime. It's bought by the blood of the perfect one. So, just as Jesus calls on you, I call on you now. Turn from your sin and look to Jesus. He promises you rest and he's faithful to deliver. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for it's so practical, it speaks to our needs, and it gives us step-by-step instructions. I pray that as we continue to think about this psalm and the truths that it points to, that you would help us apply it, that it wouldn't just be empty words that go into our ears and out of them, and we don't do what you teach us to do. God, we live in a world where we all need rest, whether we recognize it or not, our bodies, our minds, our souls cry out for it. But God, in your wisdom, And by your example in the days of creation, you demonstrate, you call us to a rest that is essential for us. But God, you don't just leave us with a command, you leave us with instructions how to do it. And God, we're grateful for them. So this week, as we enter into a new year, help us to be a people of rest. Help us to build rest into our rhythms of life. Help us to experience rest in moments of trial and struggle. Help us to respond in an attitude of rest so that we might respond rightly and ultimately reflect your goodness to us and your generosity in Jesus Christ. Our